Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Cavalry Audio. I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to Season 2 of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Hey, and like always, I appreciate the five of you actually listening to me for the uh, 90 minutes of fun that I have with my guests. And I just want to remind everyone that we are less than 30 days out from The Rugged Life hitting shelves. You can pre-order that everywhere books are sold. And, you know, basically The Rugged Life is the answer to the pandemic. I hate to use that example, but if there's one thing we learned is how much we don't know how to do. Uh, and we relied on technology way too much to have uh, food and coffee delivered to our front doors. So the rugged life basically is if you are just a little more self-reliant, then, uh, you know, global crisis emergencies will not impact you as much. So try to be as self-reliant as possible. And then uh, you you kind of create a bubble of uh, skills that prevent the outside world from messing with you and your uh, your daily life and your family's lives. So check out The Rugged Life. It's uh, available everywhere. Books are sold for pre-order and will be on shelves May 10th. Today, we have a successful investment banker, the creator of Project 7 for Soldiers, founder of Dawson's Peak Foundation, a avid traveler with 35 plus countries under his belt, and a licensed motorcycle racer. Matt Dawson, or Dawson, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me, Clint. Thank you very much. Not a problem. So like always, I start with a little bit of rapid fire where I'm going to give you two choices. You pick one, and then we'll circle back around, and you explain the why. Are you ready? All right. I'll see what I can do. Okay. Planes or trains? Planes. <laughs> what about subways? Have you heard about the subways these days? I tell you, from what I hear, I'd, I'd rather be 20,000 feet in the air than, than 200 people out of the ground right now. <laughs> yeah, man, it's unfortunate. Um, okay, the uh, train or automobile? Oh, automobile, 100%. Automobile, yeah. I figured that'd be your answer. You're just staying away from trains completely. That's a good idea. Um, okay, mergers or acquisitions? acquisitions 100%. <laughs> and then I got it I have to. I mean, who I'm a I'm a fan of American Psycho. So, what was the other option? It's uh, murders and amputations. Oh, murders and executions. Murders and executions. <laughs> so, which one would you pick on that one? <laughs> <laughs> I think it depends depends on my mood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, I'll circle murder. <laughs> uh, pistol or rifle? Oh, uh, oh. That's a good one. Um, I'd say rifle. Rifle. Okay, we'll come back to why. All right. Polar 
Okay, we'll say polar caps or deserts. 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 Um, the bottom of the ocean or the top of mountains? Oh, easy. Top of mountain. Top of mountain. And then what about desert versus mountain? Ooh, that's tough. Uh, I'd probably go with mountain again. Mountain again? Yep. All right. Okay, let's circle back to the top. Um, yeah, you. we kind of discussed it. You picked uh, a plane over a train. How many plane rides have you been on? Have you counted? Not, them? T- yeah, I've been I've been a licensed pilot for about uh, fifteen years now. Oh, a pilot yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've been a pilot for fifteen years. Had my you know my IFR rated, and uh, so I've, I've I've flown for some time and just absolutely love it. I, I don't get a chance to fly as often now as I'd like to, but uh, it's just it's something that's been a part of my life for for a while now. Yeah, I got my private pilot. Um, I took I was at SEAL Team Three. I took thirty days of leave and I got back from a deployment and uh, knocked it out, right? And this was uh, pre-9-11 at Montgomery Field in San Diego. And uh, that was like ultimate freedom, right? Once you're doing your solo at the 10-hour mark and you, you know, your instructor gets out, you take off and you're on your own, that's when you realize just how crazy it is to let people just take a plane and fly because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know you're you're relying on everyone else to have their head on a swivel and the more you fly you start to realize that that's not always the case right exactly not 100 percent. but it's, it's like you said just i just i love the freedom of it and i love the consequence of it is often when i'm flying and, and maybe you know, i'm only at you know six eight thousand feet you know something like that just flying around socal and just it, it just dawns on me that i'm alone in a plane 8,000 feet off the ground, you know, if I don't perform, <laughs> then there's going to be a consequence to this. And that that's something I really enjoy about it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The success and the failure resides solely on you. It does. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, you mentioned the motorcycle race, and that's another thing I enjoy about that. It just, I, I enjoy things that have a consequence to them that require you to, to stay locked in and to perform. Yeah. And it just, I think it just makes things more interesting. No, I've got common ground with you there. Um, and then like you, I haven't been able to fly as much as I'd like to. And I started my instrument rating, but never finished it. You know, just, you know, the Navy got in the way, damn it. Um, and then, yeah, motorcycles. So you brought it up. We might as well talk about it right now. I got, I'm, you can't see them, but right there, there's three of them staring at me. You know, I kind of, every now and then I turn on the headlights and use it as studio lighting. (laughs) (laughs) What do you have there? What do you have there with you? I've got, uh, an S the S1000RR BMW. Yeah. I've got an Indian Challenger for just cruising and long long distance and then for round town I've got an Indian Bobber, the new Scouts. Oh nice. Now, yeah. I tell you, those Scouts are good looking bikes. Yeah. Wow, all, all the bikes you named are, are good looking bikes. That, that BMW is just a weapon right now. Yeah, it's a rocket. It's a rocket yeah. ship. Um yeah, but the Indians, I mean especially the Scouts. I love the they kept all the World War II kind of design and that vintage cafe racer combined yeah. with history is just super cool. Now they they've done a great job of kind of melding that that Indian tradition with, you know, kind of a, a newer updated version of it but without losing that look and feel. They they've done a wonderful job the past couple of years on that. Yeah, they're starting to just crush Harley. It's crazy. Oh, they, kinda, they are. Yeah, they put, it's, I was looking at those because I go up to uh, Laguna Seca every year for the races. Yeah, used MotoGP now it's World Superbike Moto America, and Indian always has a big presence there, so you get to you know see the bikes firsthand. And I've been really impressed with them recently. Yeah, you know the joke that's going right now. You know the best place to buy a Harley. 
Where is that? At an Indian dealership. Because <laughs> they're trading them in. Um, okay, let's see here. We had uh, murders, or sorry, mergers and acquisitions. So yeah. you, you went with acquisitions. So give us a little bit about that. Well, but just you know, on the acquisition side, it's it's you know you're you're the one to control. Is that you've identified a target? You know, you see some uh, some benefit with acquiring that target. You see some way that either you know grow your operations into to new territories or you know new products, new services, things like that. So just having the uh, the opportunity to identify a target and the ability to acquire that target also means that you're in a good strong position. So there's just a lot of things going for you when you're able to do that. So I'm guessing when you were doing that, you're you're making probably. I mean, you have to be. Is it is this one of those fields you got to be in for a while before you really start making a lot of money, just like anything? Or were you cranking it out and decided, okay, I'm making great money. I'm just going to stop all this and start doing adventures. You know, it's it's interesting. Is is banking? It's um, it depends on kind of the 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 part of banking that you're in. So with with M and A. The first, you know, normally two to three years, you're working 80 to 100 hours a week, just absolutely, you know, killing yourself. And, you know, it's it's decent money for for the industry. And then normally what you'll do is you'll go back and you'll go to uh, to business school and then come back out and get, you know, and just kind of stay involved. And then after a number of years is when you can start making more money. Uh, you know, to your point is with the creation of Dawson's Peak, I've been in this field for 15 years. I really was beginning to en- to enter the prime of my earning potential, and that's when I chose to to walk away and to focus on the organization. Because what I you know what I learned was, although I was successful from from certain societal and, and business standards, is I had this this sense of numbness and emptiness and kind of a, a lacking and longing inside of me, and yeah, I was successful enough to understand that no amount of money is going to plug that hole. Right. And I don't care how many motor and look, I've, I'm like you, I've got, I've got three bikes in the garage right now. And uh, no matter how many bikes or cars or, or trips or dinners or clubs or whatever, if you've got <laughs> that hole inside of you and it, it's not going to feel it. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, was, I was able to, to, you know, come up with, with Dawson's peak. And I tell you what, I've never been more fulfilled. I've never felt more purposeful and never been, been, uh, you know, happier in my life. Yeah, that's that's I mean, it takes a lot of courage to kind of pull the trigger. Right. I mean, especially if you knew, wait a minute, giving up all because dollar signs are heavy. Right. As far as when it comes to decision making and and uh, to move away from them, to go do uh, to go fulfill a dream or chase down a passion. That's that's it takes a lot of courage and balls to pull it off. Right. Well, I tell you, it, it's uh, it's one thing to say you're going to do it, and it's another thing to do it, and then it's another thing to sit there and, and watch all your bank accounts just <laughs> trending in the wrong direction, which is what I've been doing for uh, for a couple years now. But uh, you know, they say that money is not a true motivator. Yeah. It is in the sense that obviously we all need it to to do certain things, but uh, there's there's definitely a diminishing uh, you know line of return when you're dealing with money, and but then after a while, it's just look, you, you hear about all these, these professionals, whether they're businessmen or women or, or professional athletes that ha- have all the money and the accolades in the world and they're miserable. You know, right. they, and they commit suicide or, or, you know, try suicide, things like that. So it's just, you got to make a decision for, for yourself about what's most important in your life. And uh, with me is, is living with purpose and being fulfilled is, is more important to me than, you know, the maximizing how much money I can make. Yeah. 
Well, and if you can combine both, then that's a really good deal, right? That's the, yeah, that's the plan right now. So I'm working on the on the on yeah. The, yeah making this uh, you know attaching some money to it at some point. Exactly, so we'll man. I'm having a lot of fun, but I'm poor as fuck. But yeah, exactly. that's all right. Okay, I'll make money some other way. We'll yeah. figure it out Thank sooner God for later. Credit cards. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah. I've done that once before. I just took a took a risk and uh, it worked out. But man, it I, it was on my credit card for a while before yeah. it finally. Uh, got paid off um okay going back to our little list here uh you, oh rifle versus pistol you picked rifle i, I knew i knew you're gonna bust me up on that one I felt <laughs> I, normally i would say pistol because i like things that, that are up close and personal mm -hmm. and that, that's that's normally more my personality but i tell you it's is i love long range distant shooting with rifles you know, I, that, so that's kind of what I was thinking with rifle just, you know, kind of sit there, maybe just kind of lay, lay back in the weeds, pick something off from a couple hundred yards and just, you know, you know, just kind of the, the skill that's involved with it. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, you know, the, the focus, uh, you know, everything that's kind of involved with that, that that's something that, that uh, really appeals to me. Yeah, I can see that. There's just, there's something therapeutic about just exactly, long, yeah. long range shooting and kind of getting into the moment and, remembering to uh pay attention to how you breathe i mean exactly yeah it's it's, it's like being present you know right i had i had a i had a friend that was uh that ran a uh a uh a gun range and that's something that we would do sometimes just just go out there you know pull the truck up and just hit long range targets for hours and it just it was just a lot of fun to to lay out there and like you said this you have to be so present you have to be aware of yourself your breathing take everything into account make the calculations and that's just uh this the the strategy and the challenge behind it i really enjoy yeah i could see that it's awesome um then we went with polar caps versus deserts you picked desert yeah why is that I, you know it's it's even though i was born and raised in alabama is i'm a desert rat and i don't know i don't know what it is but there's something about deserts that just call to me huh. and if you, if you believe in past lives i was definitely uh a, a desert no matter or something at some point because i love being in hot dusty dry environments and huh. deserts are just they're just so unforgiving in a lot of ways that you really have to be on your game and if you take just a little one step off course is that can compound pretty quickly so i enjoy that that challenge of it it's just a little more unforgiving a lot of times than mountains are yeah yeah you're definitely like me, you've got a little bit of that risk versus reward, and you'll always choose risk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I totally get it. And uh, what's interesting, though, you know, for us, you know, you were you were obviously in the Navy, and we we were always we always had a saying: you can never, you can always put on enough to be warm, but you can never take off enough to cool down. Right. Yep. So deserts, you can get butt naked, and you're still going to be hot as hell. Whereas in cold environments and cold weather warfare, you can get the layers on and you can actually be comfortable regardless of the temperature outside for the most part. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's why I was surprised by your desert answer. Cause most people be like, Nope, can't take enough off. You're always hot. Right. Well, yeah. No, and look, I'm, like I said, I was born and raised in Alabama. So yeah. during the summers, yeah, you know, we would have, you know, two a days where it's a hundred degrees, a hundred percent humidity. So I can, you know, the, the heat is something I, I grew up with. Yeah. Two a days. That's your football kid then. Right. There you go. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Okay, next. Then I gave you desert versus mountains. That one you went with mountains, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that I got. It's it's tough, man. That's that's like picking between you know two girlfriends. That's that's a 
that, that's a tough one there but if there's there's something about the mountains that that for me are just magical i think one of the biggest things obviously it's a very challenging demanding environment it's a very hard environment you know there's there's nothing soft about a mountain uh but also it just it really puts into perspective uh kind of the how inconsequential we are as individuals yeah like when you walk through the himalayas for example you understand, you know, kind of where you fit in in the world and just how just, again, inconsequential that, that we all are. And uh, that's something that that appeals to me. I like I like being put in my place like that. Yeah. And not to mention, I mean, it's just beautiful. Right. I mean, you, I don't care what mountain I've been on all the there. None of them are famous mountains, but they're all in like you know, hashtag shitholes. <laughs> so, you know, and you can stand there and I don't care which country it was. You're just kind of like, holy shit, man, this is beautiful. You know, it mountain is, ranges man. are just beautiful. They they are. And it's just, I, I love the, the, the challenge of it as well, that if you need to go somewhere, it's not, you're just, you're not just walking, you know, in a, in a flat, on a flat surface for a mile. It's like, you may have to climb 5,000 feet. Yeah. And there's, there's something about going vertical. That if your mind's not in the right place, I mean, it will just crush your soul. You know, <laughs> yeah. if, if, you're not, if you're not fair, and I've seen it, I've, it's happened to me. I've seen it happen to people, and it just, I, I like that. Yeah. Especially if you got like 60 plus pounds on your back. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That's when it really crushes your skull. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, okay. Then we went, uh, yeah, the bottom of an ocean. I kind of hit you with water, uh, top of a mountain. So you still went with the top of the mountain. I tell you, I did. It's just, it's uh, as much as I like water is I don't like being wet a lot of times. <laughs> it's, I mean, I'm a, I'm a dry guy. Yeah. And I mean, I can deal with the snow and the sleet and all that, but you get me wet for too long. Uh, it's not something that, that I really dig too much. I, hell, I bought a surfboard and a wetsuit and I took it out once and then, you know, gave it to a buddy. It just, I had enough. <laughs> that's a nice, that's nice. That's very nice of you. Um, it was a nice gift. Yeah. 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 Really <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm with you. You know, there most seals will lie and say, I love the water. I love being cold. But I'm the first one to tell you, no, that's all bullshit. Most seals, especially, you know, I went 20 years and, you know, you come out of it like completely hydrophobic. You're like, fuck the water. I don't want to go near it ever again. And if it's not 150 degrees Fahrenheit, I'm not getting in. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I understand the uh, the wet equation. It sucks. We will be right back after the break. Hey, this is Clint Emerson, retired Navy SEAL. I get a lot of questions about my morning routine. So here it is in a nutshell. 5 a.m., wake up. First cup of coffee, I dump Bub's Naturals MCT oil in there. And then I mix it around with one of those little automatic stir spoon thingies that make it all frothy and creamy. And then my second cup, I dump Bub's Naturals collagen in there. Now, the reason I do both is the first one, MCT, fuels my brain. It gets me up, allows me to focus on whatever I've got going on. The second cup of coffee has collagen, which honestly, it's like lubrication for my joints. It makes my neck and my shoulders, my left hip and my left knee feel pretty damn good. And it wasn't until I went over to Australia that I realized that this stuff really does work. I was overseas for about 45 days. And in the first week, I wasn't so focused in the morning. In fact, I was a little foggy. And my neck was hurting. My shoulders were hurting. And I thought to myself, eh, it's just jet lag. Different pillow. A different mattress. And then it dawned on me, I don't have my bubs with me. The day I got back to the States, I immediately started back up, and within a week of being home, I was focused again, 
my joints didn't hurt. And I was like, holy, I can tell you that Bubs Naturals works. Great for your skin and hair, by the way. Everything feels good. Unlike a lot of supplements out there, it actually works. And that's the key takeaway here. It works. I'm telling you, you will notice a difference. Check out BubsNaturals.com and order some MCT and collagen now. And don't forget to use promo code can you survive all right well that was good you can see now we got y'all warmed up and get to know you a little bit let's go let's dive straight in let's dive straight into the project seven for soldiers and dawson's peak and I, i'm seeing lieutenant dan here lieutenant dan lieutenant dan yeah. tell us all about that yeah, so uh, Dawson's Peak is, is a 501c3 that I started uh, a few years ago, and our mission is to uh, inspire the discovery and pursuit of individual purpose. It's basically to get people to recognize that we all have the ability, that we all have a unique gift that only we can offer the world in a way that only we can offer it, and that we have not only the capacity to identify and to offer that, but also the duty, because everything that we do is going to eventually impact everyone else. So we're, we're all in this thing together. And uh, to understand that, that we have a role and a responsibility in society, you know, not only for, for ourselves, but for everyone else. So uh, the, what we do is that we create large scale global expeditions that are undertaken by athletes that we sponsor, where viewers can watch our athletes and to say, well, if this person's climbing a mountain or rowing an ocean, I can identify a mountain in my life or an ocean in my life, something that I feel is potentially greater than I am, something that scares me, something that I put off forever. And if I truly apply myself, you know, dedicate myself that this is something that I can dress, overcome, conquer, you know, whatever that is, and to really use our athletes as a point of inspiration. So uh, the, the current project that we're working on is our first project. It's called Seven for Soldiers, where I'm the guinea pig, is I'm trying to set uh, uh, seven world records across a variety of activities that include completing the Explorers Grand Slam, which means climbing the highest peak on each continent and then skiing to the North Pole, South Pole. And then flying a single engine plane around the world, uh, trekking solo unsupported across the Mojave Desert and Death Valley, and then finally uh, rolling across the Atlantic Ocean. Damn. So uh, 100% of the net proceeds that we're raising, we're donating to our two charity partners on this, two additional charities, which is the Gary Sinise Foundation. So, you know, Lieutenant Dan tie in there. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, and then Hope for the Warriors, ah. which is, yeah, which is, and these are two of the highest rated uh, veteran-focused charities in the U.S. So we're, we're extremely fortunate and, and grateful to be working with them on this. And, uh, and Gary, as you know, is, is he and I have gotten much closer you know, over the past couple of years working together. And he's just an absolutely unbelievable guy. And I feel like as, as much as I'm trying to do, every time I talk to him, I even feel worse about myself because he's just doing so much more for people. You know, I'm just like, I'm just trying to follow in his footsteps. Wow, man. That sounds... I kind of want to go. How do how do we sign up? Is uh is this something you can sign up for? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put you in my backpack. I'll I'll take you with. Yeah, you. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I, I don't mind being carried around. That'd be cool. I'll cheer you on though. I'll whisper in your ear. I'll just keep you going. I'll motivate you with sweet whispers. <laughs> um. Yeah. And Gary. I mean, I've only. I think I met him once. And but all my buddies, you know, obviously in the SEAL community that are involved in nonprofits. Uh, you you can tell he's the he's the real deal, genuine guy that bends over backwards uh, to help out veterans, um, and he's gone to bat for him several times. So that's 
It's awesome, man. That is a great project. And everything you mentioned is everything I'm interested in as well. But, uh, and like you were saying, I just don't make time for it. I should, but, um, okay. So next one, the seven world records you mentioned, um, Wait, so you've already actually you've, you've set seven world records already, correct? Or no, the, the attempt the attempt is to set seven. Currently, I have one. So okay, and, you have this, one out of the seven. Okay, you have one out of the seven exactly. So and and really, once this is all said and done, it may it may get up to eight. We're just we're kind of seeing how things go, but we're sticking with seven right now. Plus, the the title just sounds better, seven for soldiers. But uh, currently, yeah, we've got uh, I've got one under the belt and uh, working on the rest. Uh, unfortunately, as I, as I should actually be in the North Pole right now, uh, that got canceled with the Russian invasion of, uh, of Ukraine. One of the big companies that helps run the North Pole is a Russian company. Oh. So because of that, the season got canceled and the season's only about three weeks long each year at the end of March through like mid to late April. Man. So uh, we, we've got one more iron in the fire that we're working to try to get up, this, up there this year. But for the last three or four years, uh, no one has been to North Pole. It's gotten canceled for various reasons, COVID, you know, and, and now Russia. Uh, mm. So that's put a, uh, a delay on a lot of this. But there's still a couple other things that we can do in the meantime. So what was the one you've completed already that you set a record? Yeah, yeah. so the uh, so I've, already this year, I've completed a number of the expeditions. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've summited uh, the beginning of May 23 of last year. So we're, a little, we're about, what, 11 months into it, is I've summited uh, Mount Everest, um, uh, Denali, Kilimanjaro, Elbrus, Vinson, which is in Antarctica, Aconcagua, and then also I've skied to the South Pole. Nice. And, and, uh, and then the, uh, the one record that I have is I was the first person to cross the Mojave Desert in Death Valley solo unsupported. So I did a crossing of 213 miles in uh, six days, 23 hours. Six days? Six days, 23 hours, pulling pull, <laughs> a 220 pound cart. And uh, then, uh, and yeah, that, that was interesting. When I, I mean, that's, that's where I kind of got the, the desert, you know, a- answers out of that one. And then recently, I just got back from rowing across the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, we rowed 3,100 uh, 3, miles in uh, 53 days, three hours, and 30 minutes. Damn, man. That's fast. That's six hour mark. I can relate directly to that. That is that's moving out two hundred plus miles in. Yeah, it was six it was days. it was two thirteen in, in six days twenty three hours. So it comes out to just over thirty miles a day. Yeah, something like that. And uh, you know, it was a good effort. I think I can do better. And uh, I may or may not be thinking about going back and and putting some more miles on that and see if I can't do it a little bit faster. Yeah, but uh, the, the tough part of that was on the second day is something happened, and I got a I think I kicked kicked something with my left leg, and over the next couple of days, my lower left leg from my knee down just started getting more and more swollen to where it got about fifty percent larger, sixty percent larger than my right leg, hmm. and it was really hindering my my progress. It got to the point about the last twenty five miles, and, you know, I thought my leg was going to split open. It was so swollen and so much pressure, right? It's, I, luckily, I had a roll of duct tape with me and just du- just duct tape the <laughs> crap out of it from my, from my knee to my ankle to finish that 20-something miles off. Damn, man. Yeah, it sounds like it, I would. Me, my medical mind would have been like, I think I threw a clot, you know? You know like yeah, it, that, that was the concern. As soon as I got back, it's, it's I had a, a buddy who's a doctor take a look at it, and he's like, yo, you need to go to the emergency room, like, right now. Yeah, get on and blood so thinners. I went there, and I was in there for a couple hours. He did all the scans for clots and all this kind of stuff, and they came back with it was some type of uh, 
uh, bacterial infection. Oh. So I was on, yeah. Wow. I don't know how, because I, I had some broken skin and some scratches, so maybe just got infected somehow. Crazy. But it was, uh, it was one of those things where, like, yeah, if you'd have waited much longer, you know, this could have been a lot worse. So, so are you hard or are you dumb? You know, because they say, you better be hard or you better be dumb. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes it might be better just to be a little bit dumb. So <laughs> yeah. I, I think I kind of skirt, skirt around that. <laughs> well, and also I want to add for listeners, when he says a hundred, you know, 120 pound cart in a uh, hundred deadly skills book two, I actually outline this. It's all illustrated. If you're not aware, um, Dawson, and it's, it's basically an illustration of everyday carry for, you know, desert operations. And so you put everything on a cart and you can have harnesses or I don't know what you use, but basically you're pulling it behind you. Uh, and it prevents you from having to carry so much directly on your back, pushing down on your spine. Yep. Um, I'm curious. So did your cart, is it a, was it a single axle, double axle? Did you have multiple, did you have to have to change out the tires at all? What was that's it? a, that's a great question. That's a, I'm impressed. That's a very good question. So <laughs> it, was, it was actually, yeah, it's a game cart that I just bought off the internet and, uh, you know, for, for hauling game out of the woods. Yeah. And so I get, it's a single, it's a single, uh, single axle. And then I went on to Amazon and I bought new bearings and bigger tires and I'm, I put go flat or run flat tires on there. Huh, yeah. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, blowing out and, and tubes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then what, what I did was the, the handle of it was just too short. Cause I, I use it generally kind of like a rickshaw where I stand inside of it and then pull it behind me. And then sometimes I'll stand out in front of it and just and pull it and, you know, pull the entire thing, the handle behind my back. But, uh, then what I did was, is I, is I had a guy to extend the handle on it. So the handle was about, uh, about two and a half feet. And I put another two feet on it and did some box steel, little quarter inch box steel hmm. and just really kind of fortified it. And, uh, it's, it worked well for me. And I'm actually in the process right now of kind of redoing it and rejiggering some ways of, of how to put my water on it, you know, where to just kind of create more, more efficient storage and utilization of the space. Cause I think that's something that kind of slowed me down a few minutes here and there. Cause in the beginning, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was using this, what I used in the mountains and on the poles, you know, for that, I just, mm -hmm. I learned a lot along the way. So when I go back, I think, I think I could be a lot more efficient. The last starting weight was uh, 200, I think 225 pounds. And this next time, uh, since I'm going to add some mileage, it'll be probably around 250 pounds starting weight on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. We, we, uh, we used to take the carts and we had these, I don't know what the hell they were. They were, you know, custom made things and we'd actually double up on the wheels on both sides. Yeah like a semi does, you know, so yeah. like, a, like an 18 wheeler, you just have two sets of tires right up next to each other on yeah. one side, two on the other. That way, if one goes, you can just keep on moving. The operation doesn't stop. Um, and you're right. You can, you can totally Gucci it out so that you've got, you know, all your bladders and you can have just yeah. endless water coming directly to yeah. your mouth, you know, connected all together. Yeah. It's super cool. I love that stuff. And, and, and I'm guessing, you know, leading into the next question, if you at the uh when you're on poles and you're going to either you know whether it's the north pole or south it's the same concept that i don't think people realize is you've got a sled behind you full of gear and you're just pulling it right i tell you it, it really is it's i mean the you you hit it on the head is that the setup might be a little different because we're when we're on the poles is you we have like a, a harness yeah. with a rope and you're, and you're dragging a sled behind you and in just the way that i that i've personally set up my desert cart like i said it's more like a rickshaw 
where I'm standing inside of it and I've got a bar across my hips normally in the front. Yeah. But other than that, conceptually, it's it's the exact same thing. And when I but when I did the, the desert crossing was actually before my first polar experience at the South Pole. So really what I utilized was what I learned on uh, on Denali. Because Denali is it's similar, it's kind of a, a cross between a mountain and a pole in the sense that you're carrying a heavy backpack, but you're also pulling a sled behind you. Mm. So a lot of the systems that I learned there is I just applied it to the desert and you know it 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 worked out as well as it could have in that in that uh, time. And now I've just kind of I've got a lot more experience since then. So now I know changes that I want to implement when I when I do the next crossing. Yeah. Damn. That's cool. I'm getting all excited here and jealous at the same time. Um, I'm just glad you're coming about about <laughs> you know, making making the uh, making the card all Gucci because I can tell you're, you're geeking out on it. When I was flying home in my mind, you know, I was I was writing down all the things I wanted to do and I was just redesigning the cart in my head. Hell yeah. I was getting excited. I was getting excited about well, it. Well, as yeah. you know, now with solar, like you can you can really, I mean, take advantage of, you know power in different ways you can have that all the different panels on top of your gear charging all that technology that yep. you need to support you and never have to carry a battery you know like because exactly. that used to be the one thing that would weigh down like let's say if you're the comms guy you know the comms guy's carrying the radar the radio and then he's asking everybody in the platoon hey will you carry two extra batteries two extra batteries everyone's carrying two extra of these big ass you know heavy ass batteries that by the way you can't get wet because they're lithium and they'll yeah, just catch yeah. on fire or blow up or burn you um but anyway yeah now with solar and yeah you could gucci that shit up and be yeah. all kinds of rock star out there in the middle of nowhere yeah, by right. yourself <laughs> exactly by yourself yeah. yeah all right let's see here um training so now, obviously, you, well, maybe once you get going on this path, you just kind of keep going. But there had to have been a point where you laid a, a solid foundation in your human performance so that you could do all these things. Do you have a recommended, you know, diet and like workout that you favor more than others? Or how did you get to the point where you could pull all this off? Yeah, you know, it's it's a good question. So in my in my background, I was always strength and power. Is I played, you know, high school football, college football, then then played a little bit of, of pro ball. I had a, co a couple contract officers play pro ball, uh, which I left. You know, I quit playing in my early twenties. Then from my early twenties to my late thirties, I was still uh, somewhat of a power athlete. Even though I wouldn't call myself an athlete, I was focused on power. I was just big squats, big deadlifts, which I, I enjoy lifting heavy stuff. Uh, so really, I had no endurance background whatsoever. Mm. And transitioning into this at 39 years old into such a, a high level of endurance took a tremendous toll on my body. And I really had to learn how to train for that because you can't use the same approach you do for strength and power. Uh, so with that, it's uh, I set up a, a program where it was uh, zone training where for me, it was zones according to different heart rates. Yeah. And so whether I want to use, you know, like a, uh, a zone one, zone two, which is like, you know, utilizing fat for energy and just increasing cardiovascular capacity versus a zone three, zone four, which is more power output, uh, is kind of how I, you know, put the, the training program together. About 90% of the training was done in a fasted state. So I would eat you know, the night before at maybe eight o'clock and then I'd train first thing in the morning and I wouldn't eat again until like noon to two in the afternoon. And I may go out and train between, you know, two to six hours, you know, completely fasted like that to get my body to, to, to recognize that it doesn't need external 
external carbohydrates that I can utilize food as, or the, the stored fat as fuel, which is a, a tremendous benefit. The only time that I would eat before a workout is if I was doing, say, a, a high intensity cardio workout, like a zone three, zone four, or if I was hitting a big leg workout where I needed, or like a maybe a hundred, hundred pound pack carry up a steep hill where I really needed those, those carbs and that energy. Uh, and that was a tremendous benefit for me. Uh, on average, I would train about 20 hours a week. So from August 18 to our kickoff of March and uh, 23rd of last year uh, was 30 months. I trained 2,076 hours over that period. So Damn. a little roughly about 800 hours a year. So it was, it was definitely a, a full-time program. And lastly, with regards to the diet, it's mainly I would just eat a very clean diet about six days out of the week. I'd have one cheat day. Uh, and on a cheat day, I can eat anything and everything that I want to. But I was burning so many, so many calories. That, I mean, it really didn't matter. And then, uh, you know, protein is about a gram per pound of body weight. Uh, fat is about, um, about 0.75 grams per pound. Then I'd fill the rest in with carbs, depending on how much energy I expanded during the day. And it just, the, the last thing I'll say about it is that the, one of the toughest parts was the weight loss. Because mm. when I kicked off going to Everest, I was 202 pounds. When I first started my training, I was 242 pounds. So I, so I had to pull off 40 pounds of a lot of muscle. And, uh, and that, that was difficult, you know, to do, but it just, you know, that, that fasted cardio, uh, just does, does wonders. Yeah. So what you explained to me is intermittent fasting, which then led to that kind of ketosis state. And right. I'm sure you just got freaking ripped once it engaged. And then I have to, I, I, I'm kind of curious, going from the 240 down to close to 200, I mean, did you get rid of all the mirrors in your house before you did that or what? I mean, because that, that could I certainly still, play a role with your ego, right? It's, it's funny, you're, <laughs> you're joking about it. I still struggle with that to this day. I hate to admit it, but I'll be totally honest yeah. with you. Is that is that I've got like in my closet I've got my fat clothes and my skinny clothes and then kind of my intermediate <laughs> clothes, but I'll go to put on a shirt and I'm like, what the hell is this my dad's shirt? You know, and, and it's when I was, it's when I was you know two thirty yeah. two forty, and you know going from an XL to a medium, it definitely messes with your mind. But uh, but you know what, it, the only thing that makes me feel better is what I can do now in any of these activities. You know, when I was when I was 240 plus or even 220 plus, I, I couldn't there's no way in the world I could have even kept up anywhere close to what I can do now. So that helps a little bit. But my ego still is a little fragile over the whole matter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I bet. I, I've, I'm the perpetual skinny guy my whole life. So I know exactly like, you know, once I was able to actually put on weight, I was like, oh, my God, thank God. Finally, I'm it was like when I hit you know, 45 years old, <laughs> I started actually gaining weight. And, uh, I was like, Oh, finally, I feel so much better. And I can actually look in the mirror and not be disgusted with myself for being this anorexic looking freak. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, trust me. I just, know how you feel. And yeah, you know, the, it's just how it is. You know, the worst part is going into the gym and trying to move big weight, you know, like on a squat or a deadlift where hell there was, there was about a year and a half that I didn't do a bilateral squat. And now it's, Stuff that that I'll max out with now. I used to warm up with before, and that's that's a big ego. Oh big, yeah, big ego pressure right there. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. yeah, the bar the bar ain't bending anymore when it goes on my back. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, if it makes you feel any better, the bar never bent when it went on my back. So <laughs> yeah. I, I stayed away from the heavy stuff because I was like, 
You know, I had a bird frame. I was going to break. <laughs> we will be right back after the break. All right. Let's see here. Yeah, this is all good stuff. So, yeah, that's that's quite the training regiment. And, um, you know, I love hearing about that kind of stuff because there's always something to learn. Um, what were you, before we leave it, your favorite protein? Is it like salmon or what What do you find yourself eating the most of? Yeah, no, it's it's really what, what I favor and what I suggest to a lot of people is pasteurized egg whites. Oh, okay. So basically liquid egg whites. You know, yeah. and you say that to a lot of people and they, they always give you the same kind of gross look on their face. I'm like, look, if you're making a cake, you're using eggs in it, you're, you know, you're getting more flavor, you're getting more texture, you're getting all this stuff. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's eating, you know, eating, you know, whatever, four or five, 6,000 calories a day, especially clean is, is not easy to do. No. And after a while, I get tired of cooking and I get tired of eating. You know, I get tired of chewing. I feel like a cow. <laughs> Cause I'm just, I'm just chewing all day. Yeah. So it's what I found is that it's, it's, I'm a protein shake connoisseur. I mean, I am a master when it comes to protein shakes and instead of using water is I just mix in uh, 25 to 30 grams of liquid egg whites. And that that's, you know, it just, it gives you better flavor. You get, you know, egg albumin, which is arguably some of the best protein that you can possibly have is pasteurized. So you're not cooking it, destroying the proteins. So that I love. And then if I'm going with it with a shake is I tried to get away from from dairy and whey and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So I use typically a, a carnivore based shake where it's a, an actual a, a meat based shake, you know, rather than, than a whey based shake. Then oh, in okay. addition, yeah. Then in addition to that, it's mainly uh, a lot of turkey, some chicken, some bison. And uh, I'll be quite honest with you. The reason I eat that is because it's cheap and I'm just I'm frugal on on fronts and it's just it's fast and easy to cook. If I had to sit there and, you know, and cook fish and cook all these things, it's just, I just, I don't want to take more time out of my schedule to do that. I can just, you know, get this stuff put together, choke it down and, and move on with my day. Right. You're strictly looking at it as, Hey, this is fuel in order to it's perform fuel. and it doesn't matter what it looks like, tastes like, yeah. I don't care. I'm just eating it. Yeah. When it, when it comes to me and food is it's strictly fuel and I don't, I don't care two ways after that. Yeah. Now back to the shake with just egg whites. You're putting ice in or something else, or is it just yeah, no, gooey? Yeah, yeah, no, no. What I'll do is, is I'll do, uh, for example, the one I just, I just had before this was uh, 25 grams of, of pasteurized eggs, so liquid egg whites. Yep. 25 grams of uh, iso uh, whey, so whey protein isolate. Uh, one scoop of raw oatmeal that I just grind up in there, and then I did uh, 28 grams of MCT oil. Oh. And then uh, with a couple of strawberries and then some cinnamon to help with uh, insulin regulation. Huh. And, and and then I don't I don't use any uh, any ice in it. I look, I mean, I've done room temperature shakes for years now, and I want something that I can just you know grind up and slam down and, and get on with it. So that the ice kind of slows me down in that regard. But that's not, that doesn't sound very liquidy. No, it sounds like a shake. Yeah, right. you know, what you can do is is if it does get a little bit thicker, is you yeah. just put a little bit of water in it on top of it. Okay. And okay. Uh, got it. And put it down and yeah. Yeah. I was but just imagining not, the egg whites and <laughs> oatmeal you, combined together. Like no, that still it, sounds a little thick. <laughs> no, it really it really does. It depends on the ratio. If you get oh, the okay. ratio right, it's not bad, but if you need to just put a little a little water in there. But another great thing to do is that you can take that same recipe, put it into like a little uh like a Tupperware dish throw it in the in the freezer for about an hour and it turns into a, a nice little pudding huh. so if you want something just to change it up but the same content is i eat that pudding probably a couple i'll make that pudding a couple times a week as well nice 
man, I'm going to have to try that out now. Okay, yeah. cool. Love it. I like like fast, easy, just get to the point. I'm, I'm like you in the sense I don't want to sit here and cook all day no. just to fuel myself so I can go burn it later. It's like, no, I want just get it all in and let's get it over with, you know? Yeah. Now look, yeah. I, I can tell you what I'm having every meal of every day, you know, a week from now. It's it's generally the same thing. Yeah. And it's, just, it's one last thing I got to deal with. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of the same. Like, I'll just, I'll, yeah, I'll have salmon, broccoli, and rice every meal. I don't care. That's fine. Yeah. I'm fine with that, you know? Um, okay. Shifting gears. Now, Sorry. Going, we're going into uh, rowing across the Atlantic. So... You're, you already did this, right? Yeah, so, yeah, I just got back from it, right. Yeah. So, okay, how did uh, – okay, let's start with the vessel itself. What are, what, are, what were you using? So we had a – it was a partner and I. We had a, a 22-foot boat. So it was uh, – basically, it was just it was an open an open cockpit uh, ocean rowing boat. So on one end – kind of if you took an egg and kind of elongated it and then scooped the center of it out is essentially what it looks like. So okay. on, on the, on the, on the, on the forward is that we've got uh, a cabin that was about four feet by four feet by four feet living space. So very, very small cabin, <laughs> a prison cell, smaller yeah. than a prison cell. Yeah. It's a lot smaller. <laughs> it's a lot smaller than a prison cell. Uh, then there was a, uh, there was a crawl space that was under the boat that went to our automatic water maker. So if you wanted to lay down in the cabin, you'd lay down and put your, your legs down a crawl space. The issue was, there was the uh, the rowing positions. There were two of them, you know, one in front of the other. So if you put your legs down the crawl space, lay down, the guy outside rowing is now rowing on top of you. It's kind of how uh, it was. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And the, the way that we worked it is uh, once we left the Canary Islands is we rowed 24 hours a day. So we put together a schedule. We each had six shifts that would range from one hour to four hours. So the average, you know, obviously is two hours. So I would row 12 hours a day. He would row 12 hours a day. And we just did that, you know, until we hit Guadalupe in the French West Indies. Damn. Yeah. So if you're in the middle of rowing and half of my row stroke is hovering above my buddy, right? And I need to urine. Are you guys peeing on yourselves to keep speed moving <laughs> forward? Or how does that work? No, it's, so we had, <laughs> it's a great question. Is we, had, we had a bucket system on board. So uh, we, had, we had two buckets. Is yeah. that... Um, we had a blue bucket and a black bucket and uh, the blue bucket was for cleaning and, and uh, laundry. The black bucket was the bathroom bucket. Just the key was not to confuse those two. So, yeah. so anytime you do your business is you'd, you'd get up, you'd walked into the deck, which was only 10 feet away. So the, 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 the entire time linear feet was about 15 feet that we lived within. And I would say maybe 95% of our time was within probably a four foot you know, radius for 53 days, I didn't travel more than four feet, you know, 95% of the time. So it was, it was definitely an interesting experience. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And I'm guessing you didn't use red lenses at night because then you wouldn't be able to tell which bucket's what, right? <laughs> sometimes White you just lens. gotta take a chance. Yeah, just take a chance sometimes. Yeah, white lenses all the way. You gotta make sure yeah, I'm right. grabbing the right bucket here. Yeah. Um, so then your buddy, you, you must have picked someone you've known, you knew you could get along for, you know, 50 plus days at sea together in a very confined environment, I'm guessing, right? That's, that's a great question. And the, the answer is actually no, is I'd met this cat for uh, 30 minutes <laughs> one time the before the trip. I'm serious. So uh, a, a friend years ago in 2017, when I climbed Aconcagua for the first time in South America, I met a guy there. He and I became friends. 
he had rode with my, the partner that I just used on Atlantic crossing years before that. So, uh, and he, this individual is based in, uh, in Paris. So a couple uh. years ago, I was traveling through France, met up my buddy. He's like, Hey, let's meet the guy that I rode with. And I, this was before even Dawson's peak was even in my mind. Mm. So I met this guy for literally 30 minutes. And, uh, and then years later, when I came with Dawson's peak, I was like, Oh, maybe you want to throw an ocean row here. I'm like, well, I know this one guy. So I hit him up and, and, uh, asked him if he'd like to be a part of it. He said, yes. And, uh, you know, we, we had a great time together. Honestly, we had no arguments. We had no issues. It's just our personalities were very similar, but very different. Mm. So it's just, it was the perfect, it was the perfect compliment, you know, to each other. Huh? Man, yeah. you got lucky on that one. I got, right? I got extremely lucky because it, it's, a, it's, as you know, with all the things that you've been through, which are far in advance of this, it's a, it's a very challenging, stressful taxing environment where it really brings out the true character of, of someone who they really are. And, yeah. uh, and, but said he and I got along great and I, I really couldn't have asked for a better partner. That's pretty cool. When, as soon as you said he's from, he's, he's in Paris, you know, that I was, I was waiting for you to say, and he didn't speak English. So it worked out great. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think his, his English is better than my French, but his English ain't great. So that, yeah. that probably did help. Yeah. He's you know, what's funny is, is you got two guys on, on such a small boat, but I'm telling you is we talked for maybe 10 minutes a day. So we, we would talk in passing. So when he was rowing, I was in the cabin and vice versa. When we would switch, we'd give each other an update on, you know, here's the wind, here are the waves, here's the speed, here's whatever. We'd say, okay, then you'd go into the cabin, shut the door, and the other person would be out there for three, four hours by themselves. So we we, we didn't really, really talk that much. It's, it was interesting. <laughs> it sounds like the perfect man environment where you yeah, just don't actually, have to talk much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, that's that's most of the dudes I hang out with. You know, we, yeah. we say our, uh, you know, we get away with saying – what is what is a typical guy's requirements like 500 words a day and a woman is like 15,000 words a day <laughs> like so, 500 yeah. still sounds like a lot to me it does it does yeah. I mean even just this conversation's already gone too damn long <laughs> <laughs> um all right so I see something like next adventures here I see Australia is uh, Australia in your in your future yeah so so the last mountain that I need to finish off the Grand Slam you, there's actually two options depending on how you define a continent. Uh, so there's two there's two lists that you can that you can do. You either do Mount Kosciuszko, which is on Australia proper, or you do Karsten's Pyramid, which is in uh, Papua New Guinea. Uh, and, uh, so what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to do both of them. Is so Indonesia is currently open, but the region where the where Karsten's Pyramid is is not open. So as soon as that that opens, I'll pop down there, climb Karsten's and Kosciuszko. And that leaves then just the North Pole, which will probably be next April, you know, unfortunately, because of the of the delays to finish off the Explorers Grand Slam. Yeah. And are most of these solo or you got buddies or are you hiring guides? How are you kind of negotiating these things? Yeah, no, it's that's a good question. Is that uh, so on probably just under half of them is uh, I'm using uh, Ryan Waters, who's who's a good friend of mine. And uh, he he has a company called Mountain Professionals. Ryan was the first American to complete the full length uh, Explorers Grand Slam. So just, it, it, he, I think he's summited Everest six times now. So just, yeah. the guy's just an absolute stud, been a mentor of mine when it comes to, to mountains and poles. Uh, so whenever I can, I climb with him, but on three or four of them is I'm going just with, uh, just with me and a guide. Got and on, as you probably know, on a lot of, on a lot of mountains that is that you have to hire guides a lot of times, you know, to generate, you know, local business and, and, for a variety of reasons. 
So I, I personally like to go just with a guide, you know, when I can and, and to stay out of the team environment. Yeah, that way you just accomplish the task and not worry about navigation and this and that. I mean, I'm sure you're keeping that stuff in check, but it's less stressful when you got someone who's done it already, you know, hundreds of times. Yeah, it is. And it's also less stressful for me is, is not being on the teams is that, yeah. you know, this, preparing for this has been a has been a full time gig. And I mean, I've I've poured everything that I am into it. So when I show up is I want people that that have committed as well to, 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 to surround myself with. And for example, when we just did Elbrus this year, uh, on my, when I first summited it a couple of years ago, it took me like eight days, nine days this year, I went back, we did it in about 22 hours and we did, we actually did more climbing than we did the first time. And you can't do speed like that in teams. Right. And we did, we did the same kind of rapid ascent on Aconcagua and also on Kilimanjaro, which you simply can't do, you know, having a team around you. Yeah. Yeah. I know the feeling and you're, you're, and it, I mean, it's nothing down against, it's nothing against a team environment. It's just the reality is reality. You're only going to move as fast as, you know, the slowest person. And there's a lot oh, of yeah. other, you know, one piece of gear times, let's say an eight man team, that's eight opportunities for that piece of gear to fail for that person, which slows everyone down yeah, <laughs> exponentially. Lord. Yeah. A hundred percent. And look, I, I completely agree with you. And I'm, I'm glad you, you clarified that Yeah, it is when it comes to teams, if you're on, if you're on the right team surrounded by the right people, you will be so much more than you could ever be as an individual. Yeah. It's you'll just, crush it. there, there's, I mean, there, there's, there's no question about that, but, but it's, it's about finding the, you know, the right people, in the right environments, you know, at the right times, which doing what I'm doing, just unfortunately, I don't have that opportunity. So like, like you just said, to eliminate as many potential points of, you know, uh, you know, issues or, or concerns, that's why I like to climb, you know, typically just with a guide where we can just, you know, go ahead and bust it out and get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt, man. That's just a whole lot faster, a lot more economical and efficient and, uh, and probably fiscally sound. <laughs> um, okay, so going a little bit further backwards, because I don't want to move on until we at least touch on your military time, right? It's important to note you were in the Navy, and it looks like you were, you, you were at the Naval Academy for a little yeah, bit of time. So, yeah. and, so let's go yeah, through so that. I, I, yeah, <laughs> no, I want to be, so I'll be, I'll be very clear about that, is that I don't claim to be a veteran in any way, shape, oh, or okay. form. Yeah. I've got you know a ton of friends, are a lot of family members, so I was at the Naval Academy ah. for for about a year and a half, completed, you know, plebe summer, plebe year, played football there, all that kind of stuff. And then at that time, I really wanted to uh, to fly. And as you know, when you're getting recruited by coaches, they typically tell you everything you want to hear. And uh, but my eyes just weren't good enough to fly. And uh, so once that became evident that I was going to be probably put on a boat, because at that point, I'd already had multiple surgeries that I've. As much as I'd want to go special forces, my body probably just wouldn't uh, hold up for it. Yeah. So they weren't there. I wasn't going to be a slow. They weren't putting me on a boat, you know. So I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, I'm putting me on a boat or in a sub. I can't fly and I can't go special forces." So, um, I'm I, unfortunately I, I got to uh, depart at this point. Yeah. So, wow. That's that's unique, right? I mean, people that go to you know any of our military academies very rarely uh, very rarely move on. Or, you know, kind of go, eh, I'm going to go over here instead, right? Yeah. I, I tell you, man, it's it's probably, it's, you know, somewhat similar to, to your times and the teams is that every day at the academy is a bad day. It's just a, a bad, <laughs> tough day. Yeah. yeah. It's just like every, then there's just different levels of bad days. 
but it, it's, you know, the, the time that I spent there as difficult as it was, was, was one of the most special times in my life. I made, you know, just tremendous friends and just really put into perspective, uh, you know, about like what you said, especially about working in teams yeah, and about performance and about attention to detail and about, you know, dedication and sacrifice and commitment. And you're just, you're surrounded by just such an incredible group of men and women that many of which go on to serve in, in the armed services. And it just, it made a, a very, very big impression on me. So I'm extremely grateful for that opportunity. Yeah. Well, I, I never experienced that because I was just a scumbag enlisted guy. But, you know, I've heard plenty of stories about you ring knockers. Um, so then you went, I mean, you didn't really step down. You kind of stepped up. I mean, you know, if you took military education versus University of Pennsylvania, I'd say at least you moved upward. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's a school. Uh, it's Ivy League. Most people, I don't think, know that. And, it, uh, you know, it's... Uh, Let's see. Yeah, Benjamin Franklin started that thing. That's why yeah. it's an Ivy League school, right? Yeah. Something like that. You can yeah, probably so tell I, me more about that. Yeah, so I transferred to Penn in, in Philadelphia. So like you said, University of Pennsylvania, not not Penn State. Yeah. Is that uh, and then uh, I attended the Wharton School of Business, you know, which is where I gradu graduated from with a degree uh, and also played football there uh, there at Penn for uh, for just over a year. But I actually had to undergo a, a surgery, another surgery, leaving Navy and going to Penn. Uh, so that kind of re unfortunately restricted my, my college football days. And, uh, but you know, the pen, pen was interesting. I, I learned, I learned a lot. I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed the Academy. It's just such a, a different environment, but, uh, you know, I, I tried to make the best of it and, and got out of there with a decent education. Yeah. Yeah. I think I can read between the lines on that comparison. <laughs> that's, did I say that well enough? Yeah. Okay. That was very politically correct. Yeah, I love you, it. Thank you. Yeah, just, just a little different, you know, no big deal. But I got through yeah. there and moved away as far as I could, never looked back. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't been back in 20 years. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Awesome, man. You're obviously a smart guy and even uh, tougher or maybe really dumb guy and really tough. I don't know both of those, but uh that's a that's a great set of uh, stories, information, knowledge, experience. I loved every minute of it. But now we got to move you into something that'll probably be the hardest thing you've ever done in your entire life. Okay, and that is to see if you can survive this podcast. You're listening to Can You Survive This Podcast? Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Now, I haven't looked at your scenario today, so we'll be going through it together. And, uh, yeah, it'll be as much a surprise for me as it is for you. So let's see what – are you ready? Uh, yeah. Hopefully it's something yeah. like the hangover in Vegas, but uh, we'll, see, uh, we'll see how that, this rolls. That's a good idea. We'll have to throw right? one. Yeah. We do have some diehard scenarios. I don't know which one you're getting today, but, uh, okay. yeah, we'll see. Okay. Bring it on. Your hypothetical survival scenario. For this scenario, you are on – the mountain, a mountain, okay? okay. Uh, not for one of your world records. You're just, you know, having fun going down the slopes, okay? And look at you. I see that. You're taking notes. Um, Is that all right? Yeah, you're about yeah. team here. Yeah. <laughs> We're supposed to see that, yeah. <laughs> all right. I have a you're... team of advisors off camera as well. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, here we go. Make sure he, he's always looking good. Make sure he's always looking good. Okay, you are going down a less traverse part of the mountain, Okay. Because you're a risk taker, you know, so you're going uh, those paths less. Uh, what's that saying? Less road, less traveled. There we go. You're the smart yeah. one. Okay. 
It's a little more dangerous, uh, but you know, you know, you can do it. So, first question: uh, Do you a choose skis or b choose a snowboard to do this? So, is there? Let me ask you this: Is there snow on the mountain? <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, as far as I know so far, yes. I'm going to say Listen, yes. From what I know about your personality right now, I might be <laughs> yeah, in the desert. And you're like, hey, I never said there was snow. So, <laughs> yeah. like, hey, you're on it. it. You're on it. I, I like see it. it Clint. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So yeah, uh, this, yeah. As far as I know, for right now, yes, there's snow. <laughs> okay. Listen, I, I'm going to. I don't. I don't want to ask a million questions to try to overqualify everything. Uh, just with what, just going on what you told me. Yeah. And, uh, I would take skis. Skis, yeah. Is that because you're just better on skis than you are a snowboarder? Well, you know, it's that uh, on a mountain, I'm actually better on a snowboard. But I think yeah. you know, not knowing the uh, not knowing the terrain and everything, skis just offer a little more versatility. That's and right. I can do a little bit, a little more functionality on skis. So not knowing your future, you're picking skis, right? right. Exactly. Good job. Well, both answers were there was no right or wrong here, so it's right. Good job. Um, so now you've selected you know, going down on skis and, uh, you're about to hit the slopes. Okay. So next, do you a do a dummy check and make sure you did not forget any supplies you may need or B hydrate with a little water and just hit the slopes. Cause you're a risk taker. Why not? No, I, I, I'll definitely do the check. Cause I, I've been <laughs> in those situations where I, I'm a hundred percent sure that I have X, Y, or Z. And I get to where I need it, and it ain't anywhere to be found. Yeah, so, it's a it's 100% lost, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. So I, look, I've done that a, a lot. And, uh, you know, tying back to that training question earlier is uh, I normally train in a dehydrated state. So uh, I could water's not normally a big concern for me anyway. So I'm, I'm definitely doing the check. Yeah. You, yeah, we are a lot alike. I used to make this joke about how I'd always drink Cokes and eat Twinkies because I wanted to train my body to worst-case scenario. <laughs> hey, man. It's like, it's funny because when I go out and I train, like I said, I train fasted and I train without yeah. water because, you know, like, you know, it's like you're going to get in these situations and I can't say time out. I need to eat a Snicker bar and drink a Coke. Right, right. And, and so if I'm going to be in that situation, maybe 26,000 feet up a mountain, I better start preparing for it, you know, when I can control the environment. And that, that's kind of, you know, how I look at it. It's been my approach. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I don't know if it's the smartest, but hey, it works. <laughs> I'm still alive. Um, all right. So... Yeah, you make sure you've got all the supplies. You check and double check because that's definitely the first rule of safety to ensure a successful trip. Um, and one of the items you grab is an, an avalanche transceiver. I'm sure you're familiar with these. Yeah. Uh, so do you, A, attach the transceiver to your body or do you attach the transceiver to your pack? So A or B, body or pack? Right. I'm, I'm taking that thing with me on the body because I've, I've seen uh, a number of packs get ripped off and there's no telling where those Correct. things have, have Yes, ended up. exactly. So I'm, I'm keeping you, that's that, a, that, that is what I call a life support item, right? So you want it on your body, which in the military we call first line gear, right? Anything that touches your clothes, your clothes touch your skin, those are all. Okay. So anything you can put in a pocket, anything you can just, that's all first line gear and it should always be life support. Um, so that when everything else is gone, you still got it. Okay, good job. Uh, so now, as a rule of thumb, you attach it to yourself, not your pack. Um, so now you're getting down, you're going on the slopes, okay? Now it's time to have fun. 
Uh, you're heading down the mountain when, of course, an avalanche occurs. And a wall of snow is gaining on you from behind. Now, we're going to just pretend everything is in slow motion right now. Because we know that if it was coming down from behind, you probably don't have any more time. So, in slow motion, do you A, compress yourself, right? And become like this little aerodynamic ball so you can get down the slope faster. Or B... Make your way to the flanks as quick as you can. Yeah, it's it's it's. If I understand the question correctly about about the slow mo, is you know you, you ain't outrunning uh, an avalanche. So I, I would I would try to get you know to the flank as best I could. Yeah, you know, I'd try to find something to get behind, and if I couldn't, then I'd try to get in a position where I can brace myself and put myself in the best position to to you know get hit and receive the avalanche. Yeah, you're dead on. And I'm sure when you've done a lot of these different uh, adventures and challenges, you're constantly thinking through these scenarios, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, and that's something uh, that we're always work to get, that, that we're always working on when you're out there is, you know, looking at the points that are going to be potential issues mm-hmm. about, you know, where the rocks can come down, where there's an overhang of snow or ice. If something does happen now, where am I going? Like, where am I out? Am I going forward? Am I going back? Am I... My jumping off the cliff. I mean, it's, and sometimes you don't have a good option, but you have a better option. Yeah. And you know, they may all be bad options, but it's, it's sometimes you got to take the, the better of the bad. That's right. Kind of like our presidents, right? You just got to pick <laughs> the, 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 the better of the bad. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, let's see here. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a mass of snow. You're not going to outrun it. Um, and so, yes, heading to the flanks is definitely correct. And you want to get yourself as perpendicular to the travel of that snow as possible. Right. Um, the mass of snow is about to come um, rushing by you. You've kind of answered this already, but do you A, jam your ski poles into the ground and try and stabilize yourself? Or B, grab onto a nice big tree? Yeah, as, as I'm getting, it's, it, look, I, I've worked with people, I think they would answer this both, or, you know, on both sides of the fence. Personally, is is I'd try to get behind something because if I can get behind that tree, hold on to it, maybe that can take some of the force. Because if, if when you're talking about this much snow and ice, mm-hmm. you get as jammed in as you want to, but uh, odds are you're not going to be there, you know, for very long. Yeah, it's concrete coming at you, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's very difficult to elude it, even behind a tree, behind a boulder. I mean, um, but yeah, I, I the right answer according to this is uh, you know grab a tree get behind it um leverage it because stabilizing with your skis i think you know now you're limited to just your own strength and the stabilization of those fancy super lightweight skis ski poles you have (laughs) so you know though they may be strong they they're probably not strong enough to go up against a uh, avalanche but uh once again for listeners you know people who do this for a living they can actually take uh, and risk certain aspects because they know what they're doing once it once something happens. They've thought about it. They've gone through the scenarios and stuff. We try to give you the the the, the bigger, more general answer that hopefully helps you, or at least you know, but hope you never have to use. Okay, when the oncoming rush becomes unavoidable, unavoidable, grabbing onto a solid fixture will obviously help. So next, do you a ditch your pack skis and ski poles and any excess gear or b 
tie yourself to the tree using the straps of your pack. Mm. Yeah. Kind of go with yeah. your gut, though. Yeah, so the, so the option is I get to the tree and either I just take all the stuff off and just let it go wherever it's going to go. Right. Or uh, attach myself to the tree. Right. It's If I if I had the time, is I'd probably try to get attached to the tree and then try to attach the stuff you know to me because I don't know where I am. I mean, if I'm 50 miles away from anybody and now I'm out there and potentially injured and then plus I don't have my gear and it's, you know, 100 yards, a couple hundred yards down the hill or completely lost, then it, it's, the situation just went from bad to a lot worse yeah so you kind of yeah you answered it right and then added so getting all of that drag or you know all those extra items that could potentially get caught by that rush of snow and end up dragging you like your pack could easily be the reason why you get drugged down the mountain um yeah taking it all off is number one and i like what you just added attach it to the tree so yeah. that at least you have something or the hopes that you have something once this thing exactly. passes. Not, not, to, not to me, but if I could attach it to something to where yeah. it's, not, it's just not a total yard sale you know, all the way down the mountain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Yeah. So ditching the gear and attaching tree. Correct. I love it. That's a great ad. Um, the rush of the snow becomes too strong. Uh, so now you lose grip on the tree, of course. You're, you know. So do you, A, try to climb the tree or B get big and kind of get into a swimming motion and try and stay on top of the snow the best you can. Yeah. If, if it's, if I understand it correctly, it's already hitting right in the midst of it. Yeah. That's what's taking place. There's no way I'm getting up that tree. Yeah. So I'm just going to, I'm going to body surf that thing and, and see what I can do. There you go. And I've, I've read a lot of information, been through some tr- enough training and I know these things probably change. I do not know what the cur- what is the current. Have you gone lately? And they, you know, experts say it used to be, you know, try and stay on top of the snow, put your feet in front of you as if you're going down a river, feet right. first, right? That that the last that I heard that that's what I was told. To yeah. Do. Okay. Yeah, I know things change rapidly with safety and security. So, um, so as you you know, quote unquote, swim with the rush, it starts to become overwhelming. So, do you a uh, keep your arms at your side, or B, put your hands out in front of you, in front of your face. Pretty obvious. It's uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely get my hands out in front of me. The issue that you're gonna run into is if you if you get all kind of balled up, is uh, you can very easily get caught in that position, and that snow is so heavy, and you can be in such an awkward position that that you may not be able to, you know, get your arms away from you, you know, once you finally come to a stop. Exactly, you just nailed it. Um, that's exactly what we're leading into. You want to get those hands up. One, you know, the last thing you want to do is get knocked unconscious and then suffocate. Um, So keeping your hands up, almost like combatives, you know, protecting your head the best you can. Remember, you're in the middle of, like, violent chaos here. Um, And then it also allows you to uh, hopefully enable and keep yourself conscious and then allow yourself to breathe and start using your arms to hopefully help yourself in some form or fashion. So... Yeah, if you're buried in the snow, moving or breathing will become very difficult, like you said, by placing your hands up front. Um, will allow you to create uh, a makeshift air pocket, if you will, near your face so that you can continue breathing at least the air that you have for that, that point in yeah. time. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, it's come to a stop, all right? So do you, A, dig in the direction of your head... Or B, use your senses and uh, determine which way is up. 
Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, from from flight training, I know how easy it is to get disoriented, have spatial disorientation. Mm-hmm. So if you think you're going to dig in the direction that you think is up, uh, I'd be shocked if you get that right in the first couple tries. So yeah. I'd, I'd probably go direction in my head, even though I don't I don't love that answer. I, that's probably what I'd do. Well, yeah, yeah. Senses and head is tough. Senses, you know, after that you know um could be something as simple as if the snot is running up your forehead (laughs) then you're probably upside down right in some form or fashion uh so yeah you're looking for gravity to help you uh whatever whether it's the tears in your eyes the snot coming out of your nose your breath you want to take all that stuff into account and determine which way is up. Um, I remember, I remember a long time ago, I read in a book. You know, it's like use your lighter, right, and, and then light it, and then the flame, you know, depending on which way the flame is going, right, is yeah. up. But the problem is, is how do you get to your lighter, right? You know, and, unless you already had it in your hand uh, yeah. or easily accessible, then it's pretty tough. But yeah, if you could get to a lighter and light it, then the flame is going to go automatically, you know, up. And that's anyway. obviously assuming that there's some type of, of, you know, cavern or space around you. What yeah. I'm kind of envisioning in my mind is that you are completely impacted in snow or you're not moving. You know, it's it's difficult to move anything. Right. You know, to, yeah. You know, and, yeah. And the snot is frozen as soon as it comes out. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. And this is certainly not to put a, a, a downer on this, but this is a very real world scenario. Mm-hmm. Is that a uh, a friend of mine that I that I climbed that I was just with in Antarctica? We climbed Vincent together. Uh, he came back when I went to the South Pole, and uh, three or four days after I saw him, he died in an avalanche skiing. Oh, shit. Yeah, where he he was skiing, and uh, there was a small avalanche. He got taken off course, and uh, ended up upside down in a tree well, and got oh. stuck there and couldn't get out. So this is a you know this is something that is very serious and it happens and like i said it literally happened a couple months ago to a friend of mine yeah that tree well scenario that is i can't think that's i mean imagine if you're you were still awake i mean did they determine if he was if he was they, conscious they the whole time yeah they didn't they didn't know that or not but i think i know the direction you're going with yeah. going with it and it's just to me it's just i don't use the word terrifying very often but to be you know upside down covered in snow stuck in a tree well is is a pretty terrifying scenario to imagine yeah and no one can find you you know right it's just horrible um and for those of you listening tree well is is a, is a natural almost like hole if you will around the perimeter of a tree uh where there is no snow because the limbs and the branches and the foliage basically protects the ground around it so snow will build all the way up you know but there'll be this this cut out around the tree trunk and if you fall in those especially upside down it's it's almost impossible to get yourself right side up right did i explain that right no you, you explain it perfectly and it's yeah. just those things can be two feet deep they can be 10 12 feet deep so i mean yeah. these things these things can be real you know real uh challenging yeah damn that's that sucks and that's a trained experienced guy well, hell, he still owed me $20, too. So, I mean, it sucks for various reasons. Yeah. Well, I'll just write his mom. Say, hey, yeah. that, that, that fucker owed me money, man. Come on. <laughs> um, all right. So, you're conscious. You have a little bit of safe. Um, you, you have a little bit of movement because you found yourself, because you went to the flanks, you ended up in looser, packed avalanche fallout. All right? Let's just say that. 
And uh, so do you, A, punch an air channel from into the direction in which you think gravity is going, or uh, try to get upside down and try and move your body around into the direction of which way you think is up? Yeah, in that scenario, I'd, I'd probably punch the hole, given yeah. that I don't, I don't know how long I've been under or what I've been through. And I would think that, you know, getting that oxygen in and uh, would probably be a, my primary concern. That's it, man. You survived this podcast. Hey! <laughs> and that now that serves as a, uh, a safety uh, sustainment and refresher training for you. So you can check that off the box next time you're... Uh, yeah, can I get you're... a certificate in the mail with that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're now qualified to go to the North Pole once the Russians stop being dicks, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, hey, man, that was... Uh, that was awesome. Good time. Now, where can people find out more about you and the ecosystem of all the great stuff you have going on? Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking. So our website is just dawsonspeak.org. So everything that we're doing, you can see on there, you can see a, a short sizzle reel, which gives you an overview of Project 7 for Soldiers. Learn a little bit about, you know, the organization, you know, you know what, we're trying, what we're trying to do, you know, my personal history, Project 7 for Soldiers. And also there's a timeline on there of the projects that have been complete or the events that have been completed and in what's upcoming. And then also uh, we're most active social media wise on Instagram. And that's just at Dawson's peak as well. All right. Well, I'm going to go follow you right now. For those of you listening, if, uh, if you're unsuccessful finding Matt Dawson or any of his, uh, foundations online just go my instagram page check out who i'm following it's not very many and they're only cool people so uh you can find matt there to make it easy otherwise dude you know thank you for coming on i love everything you got going i wish i could go uh do these adventures with you that'd be kind of cool listen I, I, I appreciate it and and again with project Sem for soldiers Anybody that wants to, to get involved, 100% of the net proceeds are going to the Gary Sinise Foundation and Hope for the Warriors. So I'm not making a dime on this. My organization is not making a dime on it. And these are two groups that do absolutely incredible work. So as, as much as people can help that is going to really help them even you know benefit more people. Awesome, man. Thank you, Dawson. I appreciate you coming on board. Uh, and good luck and be safe out there, buddy. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Um, and like I always say, keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest. Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson.